I can't get enough magical jewelry, as you've probably guessed, and so I'm so happy that my friends at Blessed Be Magic have just launched three new talisman cuff bracelet designs. Their bracelets are elegant, stylish, and adjustable, and they're subtly engraved with spellbinding words such as so mode it be, so grateful, and my favorite, charmed, because you know I can't resist a double meaning. All of the jewelry by Blessed Be Magic is created to take you deeper into the practice of recognizing and owning your power. And now you can enjoy 15% off any of Blessed Be Magic's jewelry by using offer code WITCH. So go to blessedbemagic.com, that's magic spelled M-A-G-I-C-K, and use offer code WITCH for 15% off today. Blessed Be. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Dear Women. Dear Women is your source for ritual teas, beauty secrets, and magic potions. They offer tea blends such as Dewilda Witch for increasing dreams and intuition, and natural beauty products like their Dark Violet Luna Daga Lip Balm. And you can get 40% off their concoctions by using offer code WITCH on their website, dearwomen.net. That's dear, spelled like the animal, women.net. And use offer code WITCH for 40% off today. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. And welcome to The Witch Wave. Have you ever had a book or a film or an album that's been recommended to you time and time again? Or maybe it's even been sitting on your shelf or in your queue and you've just resisted it or put off giving it your attention for months or even years. And then suddenly, you know, it's time to finally engage with it. That's what's happening to me right now with a book I honestly feel kind of sheepish talking about, but I also know that I need to get over myself. The book in question is Marianne Williamson's very famous best-selling book from the 90s, Return to Love. This is a book that so many people I admire mention as having a big influence on them, but every time I've picked it up, I felt sort of, I don't know, embarrassed about the whole thing. It always seemed to be, to me at least, a little corny, a little self-helpy. And it has lots and lots of talk about 
God. And it's a shame that the word God has been associated in my mind with certain types of religion and judgment and the patriarchy. And I'm trying to unlearn my own biases against that word. But the capital G God character, who is the figure in the Bible, just feels different to me than spirit or energy or other deities. And yet that really just boils down to semantics. So many people use the word God to mean source or creativity or love or Holy Spirit. So that's how I'm trying to read that word whenever I come across it in Williamson's book. And I'm glad I'm pushing past my own biases because I truly appreciate the messages and reminders that her writing is otherwise bringing to me right now. I also appreciate that Grand High Witch RuPaul keeps mentioning this book over and over again on his podcast because I'm finally at a place in my life where I'm ready to read it, and it's a good reminder that even the most radical and fierce people can be transformed by things that I might have written off as rather conventional. Even if you haven't read Return to Love Yourself, you have definitely heard some of the platitudes that Williamson writes about in the book. In essence, she says that everything we do needs to be coming from a place of love rather than a place of fear. You've heard it all before, I know, but it's something I really need a reminder of right now as I'm going through some big life changes. Some of you guys know that I quit my steady corporate job about a year and a half ago to follow my dreams and do things like start this podcast and write my book. And it's been such an exciting time, and I am so grateful and fortunate to have listeners and supporters like you who are interested in what I'm doing. But the book is coming out in two weeks, and I'm certainly so excited to share it with you all, but I also keep having these moments of nervousness. Not only because I hope people like Waking the Witch and connect to the book, but because it feels very tied to my livelihood right now. What if no one buys it? What if it gets terrible reviews or no one likes it or not enough people like it? Will I keep getting to do this work or will I have to get another job? And then there's the layer of putting myself out there in a new way to be judged and assessed. My photograph, the way I speak in interviews about the book, my tweets, and of course the writing itself all suddenly feel so vulnerable. But Return to Love reminds me that when I'm having those thoughts, I'm really coming from this place of ego and scarcity and fear. And I try to remind myself that I didn't write Waking the Witch just so everyone would think I was awesome or just so I could make money. First of all, to be honest, I was making much more money and getting pretty positive feedback at my day job already. But more importantly, I wrote this book 
because I love the topic of witches so much. I love the things that witches have taught me and the way that embodying the witch has brought such a sense of freedom and strength and wonder to my life. It's made me feel more connected to other people and to the planet. Witches matter, and I love the meaning and the magic they conjure. And I love the way the witch helps other people to feel more accepting of their darkness and light to be their wisest and most powerful selves, and to use that power to change the world. When I think about the love that's in my book and in my heart, then my writing feels more like an offering than a commodity. And I worry less about how I look or sound or what people may think about me and my worth. I shift from a place of anxiety to a place of surrender and gratitude and joy. And I recall the fact that as long as I'm making my work with love, it will lead me to wherever I'm supposed to go next. It's this shift in attitude that I was also reminded of by this episode's guest, the gifted astrologer and psychic Jessica Lanyato. Beyond our talk about astrology as a vocation, our conversation about free will versus fate, and choosing compassion over judgment is just what I needed, and hopefully it will be just what you need too. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches. Brenna writes, I'm relatively new to the craft and I'm feeling kind of slumped. I just keep doubting my own confidence in my abilities, both psychic and otherwise, and it's been pretty disheartening. I feel like I've got a case of imposter syndrome, like something just isn't ringing true. But just a couple weeks ago, I was so confident that I was finding my way and cultivating love and happiness in my own practice. Now I guess I'm just feeling pretty stuck as to where to go next. I'm having a lot of doubt and fears about my abilities. I didn't come across witchcraft until I was in college and my roommate was a witch. Do you know of any stories similar to mine? All I'm hearing recently is stories about people discovering their witchiness at young ages, purchasing tarot decks in middle school, or feeling intense psychic premonitions from young ages. I was wondering if you ever go through similar phases of a lack of confidence, and if so, what do you do to contemplate and then restore confidence and direction? Hi, Brenna. So as you probably just heard from my preamble, absolutely I have moments of shaky confidence, not only as a witch, but as a writer, as a woman, as a person, all of it. And like you, for me, it comes and goes, 
Sometimes my self-esteem is strong and I am feeling myself. And other times I feel like a total imposter or tell myself all kinds of mean and critical things. It's an ongoing process for me and one that I'm working on all the time. So first, I want to address your fears that maybe you're a late bloomer or you don't have a natural instinct toward witchiness because you've come to this a little bit later in life than those of us who have discovered it as children or teenagers. And also, I should say that in your more extended note to me, you had mentioned coming from a conservative background, so maybe some of that disapproval has been internalized by you. But honestly, no matter why you feel this way, the fact is you're feeling it. So right off the bat, I hope you feel reassured that, yep, I not only feel that way too sometimes, but I think most human beings do. The key for me is not to suppress those thoughts, but to respond to them or counteract them with a connection to or conversation with love and purpose that's even bigger than the fears. Maybe right now your spells can even be about connecting to love or cultivating love. Loving yourself for sure, but also loving the people and aspects of your life here on earth that bring you joy and that make you come alive. You can do something simple like lighting a candle for love, or you can make a whole elaborate, beautiful love ritual out of it, whatever you decide. But just having that intention can help you access your confidence, your magic, and more importantly, help you connect to that bigger purpose that is more than just about being a great witch or a talented witch or a natural witch or a real witch, whatever it is that you are telling yourself you're not when you're feeling at your most shaky or insecure or doubtful. So I am trying to connect to love more intentionally, and I invite you to try to connect to love right along with me. But we can also be specific. Maybe we both need to build up some I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks confidence. And that kind of spellcraft is welcome too. On the last episode, you heard me talk about listening to a playlist that helps give me some swagger. I would also add that the color orange is associated with warm, exuberant, confident energy. So perhaps lighting an orange candle or carrying a piece of carnelian can be a nice reminder for you that you have everything you need right now, that you are exactly where and who you are supposed to be, and that you have so much love and power and strength to share. I don't actually believe in late bloomers or timelines for when we're supposed to actualize our magic or unfold into our full potential. I believe in glowing as brightly as we can wherever we're at, even if all we can muster is a faint little light. 
With practice and commitment to yourself and to love, you'll shine brighter and mightier as you go forth. Now, on to my guest. Jessica Lignato is an internationally respected astrologer, psychic medium, tarot reader, and animal communicator who has been working to help people help themselves in one-on-one consultations since 1995 and by writing her weekly horoscope since 2003. Jessica is also the host of Ghost of a Podcast, and she co-hosts TLC's digital show, Stargazing, on Facebook Watch. She is currently the resident astrologer for Girlboss in the USA and Chatelaine in Canada. And she has been the astrology columnist for various publications, including The Hoodwitch, Target, Martha Stewart's Body and Soul magazine, On Our Backs magazine, Glamour magazine, and Rookie. Jessica was also named the best psychic in San Francisco by both Refinery29 and SF Weekly. On this episode, Jessica discusses the truth and misconceptions about astrology, cosmic destiny versus self-determination, and how to engage in contemporary divination with compassion and justice for all. Jessica joined me via Skype from her home in Oakland, California. Jessica Lignato, welcome to The Witch Wave. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so glad that you're here. And you and I have been talking off mic for quite a while about the pronunciation of your last name. Did I get it somewhat right? You got it perfect. It's Lignato. It's not English. It's not phonetic. I'm sure people want to do the do at the end because it's such a great way to end a last name visually. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yes. Many years ago, I had a client come in and she was like, did you make up that last name? Is it like a stage name to rhyme with voodoo? And I was like, oh, girl, no on so many levels all at once. (laughs) It was an experience. All right. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. You are so very many things, but I do tend to think of you first and foremost as an astrologer. I know you're also a medium. You are an incredible writer. You're the host of your own podcast, Ghost of a podcast and several other things, which hopefully we'll be able to dive into. But I do want to start with astrology. And my first question for you is, (laughs) I have a bit of a setup here. With all due respect, I tend to think of astrologers as like a much cooler version of like a spiritual accountant (laughs) in the same way that I am not quite detail-oriented and systemically oriented enough to do my own taxes, and I go to an accountant to help me with that. That's how I feel about astrologers. Like, I love astrology, but it is so detailed that I do not have the capacity or, I guess, the desire to learn how to do it myself. So, Is there a certain zodiac sign that you find a lot of astrologers tend to be themselves or have a lot of in their chart? That is 
first of all, an excellent assessment of astrology. It's probably one of the best I've ever heard from a non-astrologer. <laughs> People are like, oh, it's intuitive. Oh, it's this feeling-based thing. No, it's math and memorization. It's very much like spiritual accounting. It is a freaking fabulous way of putting it. <laughs> you know, astrology is traditionally considered like an Aquarian pursuit. And Aquarius is an air sign. I'm an Aquarius, Jessica. See what I'm saying? But I'm a Capricorn. It's nothing to do with sun signs. So there's a lot of different ways of being an astrologer. That's one thing to acknowledge is that there's like bazillions of Aquarians in the world, and they're not all going to be interested in astrology sure. or be astrologers. But you have to have like a strong Uranus, which is the ruling planet to Aquarius, or like a strong Aquarian nature to be interested in something that is so counterculture. Now, mm -hmm. arguably, in the last like five years, astrology is not counterculture at all. You can go to Target or like whatever big shopping store and like find astrology underwear or whatever. <laughs> but the real in-depth study of it is very Aquarian. It is eccentric, essentially. Do you have that in your chart then? Aquarius? Yes, very much so. I have Uranus is the highest planet in my birth chart. So it's at the, the top of my chart, close to my midheaven. And it forms a square to all my first house Aquarius planets. I have Mercury and Venus both in Aquarius. So that makes me, uh, I think the official term would be hella Aquarian. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I'm sure there are so many different inroads into astrology. Let's start specifically with you. How did you start? How did this all begin for you? I always was interested in astrology. My earliest memories with astrology, I was, I think, six years old. And I had this really clear understanding that because I was a Capricorn, that my teeth were really important and that I was going to keep my wisdom teeth because I was a Capricorn. I don't know where I got that. Wow. I don't know how I knew that, but that is accurate medical astrology. <laughs> and I was always kind of passionate about it, aka as a kid, I would talk about it. And this was before the internet. So the only place to find astrology was in books. So I eventually got my first book when I was 12 years old, and I studied it and studied it. And then I am from Montreal, Quebec. And in the province of Quebec, we have a different school system. And High school goes from grade seven till 11. And then there's this two-year college program called CJEP. And it's really cheap and really great because you can take university courses before making like a university commitment. I went to an alternative CJEP. And at this alternative CJEP, it was like maybe 100 people, including the staff. There was a Jungian psychologist. Yes, I'm already in love with this person. I'm sorry. Go yeah. ahead. You are. You totally are. So I went to a place called New School, and it was attached to a place called Dawson College. And so at the main school at Dawson College, he taught Jungian psychology. But at the New School, he taught an introduction to astrology from a Jungian perspective. And I took that for a semester, and that coincided also with when I came out of the closet as queer. Well, I mean, I wasn't closeted. I just figured out that I was queer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was just like, holy shit, I'm going to be an astrologer, and I'm going to be a homo and I'm going to move to San Francisco. The next semester he gave an intermediate class and I was just like, yeah, done and done. And all I did for the two years of CJEP, which I'm not trying to brag, but I never graduated <laughs> I, because I refused to take gym, whatever. That's what I did. I'm bragging. Bravo to you, madam. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was really interested in astrology. It's all I did. I like ate and breathed and slept astrology and in 1994, I packed up my no degree and moved to San Francisco. And I 
immediately became a part of what was a really thriving astrology community in the San Francisco area. But again, this was pre-internet, right? And I just committed my life here in San Francisco to the pursuit of astrology. And the way I did that was partially through going to astrology groups and meeting with astrologers, all of whom were like, you know, I was like 19 years old and probably the youngest people there were in their mid thirties. Uh-huh. So it was a huge age gap, but I would either go there or I would study and study and study. And I met with clients for what I called a self-appointed apprenticeship that I would basically just give really long, like two to three hour long readings where I would just really unpack their birth chart, detail, detail, detail. And I would ask a million questions. And so in this way, over the course of years, I built up a client base and I learned and eventually I upgraded from my 1989 Packard Bell laptop where I had my little astrology program running uh-huh. to a actual modern computer and started using more technology, which allowed me to like do the math a lot quicker and all that kind of good stuff. And that kind of like led me to a million other opportunities like writing horoscopes and stuff like that. But really my foundation was just being passionate about reading birth charts for people. There's quite a few things that you mentioned that I'd love to get a little more detail on. This Jungian perspective, do you feel like that was an exceptionally different portal into astrology than most people get? Because, I mean, I love Jungian psychology and archetypes and all of that. And I've heard of tarot readers getting really into Jung, but I haven't heard too many astrologers kind of name check Jung. So what did you learn from that perspective? The first part of my answer to that is I think actually Jung was an astrologer. He was like uh, into astrology. So it's actually not as uncommon as you think. What is uncommon in the like memosphere and in our current moments, you don't hear a lot of about psychological astrology, but it had a really long kind of like heyday in the astrology world. And really, I think a lot of psychological astrology is netted in more of a Jungian perspective. Karen Hamaker-Zondag, my favorite astrologer who is like, she is my Beyonce. And when I met her, I full body sweats, totally geeked out. I met her just in in 2018 for the first time, but I've sent her fan mail over the course of 20 years. I know she's amazing. Anyways, I believe that she also comes from a Jungian perspective. And to be totally honest, I haven't really read any Jung. I found that I'm really influenced though by astrologers who have been influenced by him. So you're getting him through osmosis a little bit. Yeah. But I'm really a fan of using astrology in a way that directly applies to the felt experience of humans IRL. So this is actually segueing nicely into another question I want to ask you. Let's put a pin in that. And let me ask you this one other question that you mentioned before I forget. What was the book, that first book that you read? Oh, okay. His name is Sidney Omar. Oh, of course. He was Do you like, know Sidney Omar? Oh, yeah. He was in <laughs> all over Walden Books and B. Dalton when I was growing up in the 90s. Totally. When I was growing up in supermarkets, there was these little scrolls and they'd be right by the cash register mm-hmm. with all like the gum and stuff like that. Yes. And you could buy these little weekly scrolls of his horoscopes. He was massive in the world of horoscopes mm. and astrology fans, not in the world of astrologers. And there is a difference between those two things. Um, he had all these 
these books out. That book, I think we also had Jean Avery's, uh, she has a book on the ascendant, on the rising sign that mm-hmm. was like a classic. I think I had some like 1970s specials in the house that were about, you know, sex and astrology. And they yes. were all just really sex books. I had astrology as an excuse about it, but it was really just sex books. But Sydney <laughs> Omar's book on Capricorn, I studied that thing like a Bible, like I memorized it. It was ridiculous now that I look back. But the way that I use astrology and the way that I learn is I tend to learn from books. I haven't taken very many classes in astrology ever, and I don't have the most extensive book collection. I'm a really big believer in learning the fundamentals and going really deep and deeper and deeper and deeper into the fundamentals instead of adding a million details and getting distracted by those details. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm such a Capricorn in that way. It's just like, I want to really understand thoroughly those foundations. You know, astrology and astrologers can get really distracted by 6 million different details sure. and factors and stuff like that. And it's interesting, but I'm not really in it for interest. I'm in it to help people. So that's my move. <laughs> so to segue back to my segue, what do you think makes for a good astrologer? Like there are so many out there. Let's all just assume you are one of the absolute best or I wouldn't even be <laughs> wasting up my sweet, sweet time talking to you. But Thank you. but there are so many out there now to your earlier point about this being really popular at the moment. How can someone ascertain which horoscope to read or who to go to for a reading? That's a really excellent question. And the horoscope versus the reading is a really different answer because one can be an excellent horoscope writer and not great at counseling people, or one can be excellent at counseling people and not much of a writer. Mm. So they're very different things. And to that point, there is a difference between liking astrology and being a fan of astrology, right? Because if you're a fan of astrology, you're going to read horoscopes and you're going to want to eat them. And being interested in astrology, is, it's a lot more layered. You know, it's really annoying to learn astrology. You <laughs> fucked with astrology enough to know that. Yeah, I was like, nope, I'll pay someone. Thank you. Exactly. Very smart. Because in the earlier years of my practice, I have taken on a couple students and I'm such a hard ass. I'm just like, if you're not doing the homework, we can't work. And it's so much homework. You have to really, really want it. And you have to be a self-driven learner to do astrology because you're not going to go to like uni and like, you know, have to pass a course or whatever, you know, Mm. coming back to your question, there's one part of my answer, which is it is important to recognize that astrology is on some level, it's just a tool. It's inert. Maybe I'll say it this way. Astrology is like a sailboat. It's inert. It's it's just a thing. And the astrologer is more of the wind that makes that sailboat go. And so what you need to make sure is that the astrologer resonates with the values that you have. Because I've had queer people come to me and be like, yeah, I saw this astrologer and they kept on talking about like my heterosexual relationship and I'm just not straight. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like they weren't speaking to me at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to be able to speak to somebody who shares on some fundamental level your worldview. Even if you don't personally agree, they have to be able to speak to your worldview. So that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, when you're reading horoscopes, if it's accurate, keep reading it. If it's not accurate, don't read it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Use your common sense. Don't believe in anything. It's a tool. And if the tool stops working, stop using it. I used to love that like pink Maybelline mascara. And then I kind of stopped loving it. So I just started getting different mascara. And you should do the same thing with the horoscopes. Now, 
consulting with an astrologer is a different animal. And this is where I am a curmudgeon and I want an expert. You know, if I'm going to consult with somebody, I'm going to consult with them because I'm kind of nervous about something in my life or I'm scared about something or I'm uncertain. And so if you're trusting someone with something that you're vulnerable around, but they themselves have not lived many years or they themselves are not an expert, then it's like kind of at your own risk. To be fair, when I was 24, would I feel that way? No. So I think it has to do also with like where you're coming from, how old you are, where you are in your life. Mm. That's just the common sense side. Now on the strict astrology side, you can always read blog posts because at this point, there's very few astrologers out there who aren't writing content or recording content. And I don't think that there's any reason to treat hiring an astrologer different than a therapist. You know, you go in, you have an experience, you spend your money. And if it's a good experience, you come back. And if it's not a good experience, you go find someone else. I don't know how unsatisfying that answer is, but that's kind of my answer. No, I think it's a great answer because I think a lot of people get a little bit intimidated. And one of the questions I get a lot from listeners is like, how do I find my person? How do I find a teacher? How do I find an astrologer? And I think it's really useful to hear some of the kind of metrics that you measure against. On that note, Jessica, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Longtime listeners to the podcast know that I am obsessed with Mithras candles. They are the most beautiful beeswax candles I have ever seen. And they're handcrafted in Philadelphia. Mithras candles smell intoxicating, and they look even better with their wizardly dripped pillars. They also come in a variety of other shapes, from pyramids to tapers to tea lights, and they give off a warm and gentle glow. I have tons of Mithras candles, and I can't get enough. And now you can get some too by going to MithrasCandle.com and using offer code WITCH for 10% off your first order of 2019. So go to Mithras Candle, that's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com, and use code WITCH for 10% off your first order of the year. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Jessica Lignato. So Jessica, we were talking about how you can find an astrologer and some of the ways that you can ascertain or assess who's resonating with you best. You know, there are a lot of astrologers out there. There are quite a few that I grew up with who I still love to read. Some of the people that I really like are Susan Miller and Rob Bresney, who wrote and still writes Free Will Astrology. But since those guys and some of the other people that you mentioned, there's like this whole new generation of astrologers and astrology approaches that have come up. And I'd love to get your sense of what feels new about about this new crop of astrology and maybe what are the pluses and, and some things to watch out for too? Oh, that, that's a great question. And I love those two OGs. <laughs> One thing is that the internet has democratized the world of astrology and the world of writing in general, right? We can self-publish now. So women can self-publish, queer people can self-publish, people of color can self-publish. And these, these are demographics of people that the gatekeepers weren't letting in or weren't resonating with. So one of the things that I think is so powerful and amazing is that we are seeing a lot of young people, a lot of different communities of people 
finding astrology and speaking it in their own words and using it through the kind of filter of their own experience in the world, right? This is so powerful because astrology, Western astrology, I should say, like everything else, has been maintained or maybe the best way to say it is like the gatekeepers have been straight white dudes, right? Yeah. And so as we have more voices, I think that we are getting richer data. You know, I used to, (laughs) when I was first learning astrology, when I say when I was first, I mean, for the first probably like seven years, 10 years, I would go through all of my astrology books and I would put an S in front of every he, because it was like, all Capricorns think yada, yada, he does this, he does that, because there's like that general he, and we don't see that in publishing anymore. But if you're wanting to reap the benefit of many years of astrology text, you have to read misogynist stuff, you have to read racist stuff, you have to read things that don't include queer people. And it's so important. And that is changing. And it's changing because of young people and young people's work, people under the age of 50. So That's an amazing thing. And I think it's a really powerful thing. Another thing that is maybe a little more mixed is that up until recent years, really up until computers, in order to cast a birth chart, you needed to be able to do the math. And the math is arduous and it's time consuming. And it was a barrier of entry for people. So most of the people, the young people that I see on Instagram, they're not necessarily reading an ephemeris. They're not necessarily skilled in casting a birth chart, right? Mm. And it's so much easier to learn astrology when you can skip these incredibly arduous steps. So it's a lot easier now to know astrology. You know, I have people have at times commented on my post and been like, you should Google this because I just read yada yada. (laughs) And The idea of like Googling astrology is nuts to me because it's something that I know really well and I study. And there's this idea that everything can be found on the internet. That is not true. So much can be found on the internet, but (laughs) you cannot find all the things. And my answer in my head is always uh, hire an astrologer or start studying, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. buy a book. But it's understandable. If I can't find something on Google in like five minutes, I'm like, oh, it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I've been noticing in my lifetime is that at least the people I'm hanging out with, they seem to have a little bit more nuanced or sophisticated understanding of astrology than I certainly did when I was in my 20s even. I'm 38. And so, for example, it's pretty common now for people to know what their rising sign is and know what their moon is in. And I'm sure that seems pretty basic to someone like yourself. But when I was growing up, it was like... Your sun sign was pretty much what people were talking about. Are you finding that people are coming to you with more understanding than in years past? 100%. Yeah, it's shocking. And it's a big deal to me as well, because, you know, I've been writing a weekly horoscope since 2003. And it used to be that I would keep the technical part of astrology out of the writing. And it was because I really felt that people were bored by it. They weren't interested in it. They're like, give me the money shot, right? And now, Again, I credit the internet for this. They're interested in learning more. They want to know where their planetary placements are. They want to know about transits. They want to know about all kinds of things that five years ago they didn't. So there is a lot more education. Even in the way I write my posts on Instagram, I am using it as a a teachable moment. And I'm not the only astrologer doing it. There's tons of us out there who are unpacking the 
planets or the signs or the aspects or the transits. And it's so beautiful. And there are astrology podcasts for like deep astrology nerds. So people definitely are more educated, which is be still my beating heart makes me very, very happy. And also there's the downside of it, which is a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous kind of thing. Well, I'm sure it's like how when people could start looking up their symptoms on the internet, now everyone yes. comes to their doctor with like all of their own theories and all, exactly a million it. and 12 questions. And so I'm sure there must be some part of you that wants to be like, that's great. You know a lot, but I know more than you. So you yes. can also listen and be receptive to my expertise. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. And also people make up really wild stories that make sense to them based on the tiny bit of information they have. And those stories often match a narrative that they have running. And so from like a counselor's perspective, which I very much am a counselor in my practice, it's concerning because not only do I engage with people on social media, but for my podcast, I have like thousands of questions in my inbox. And a lot of the questions, I'm like, oh my God, you're freaking yourself out. You've, you've like taken this kernel of truth and you've really exploded it um, in a way that is making you really scared about your yeah. life. I want to expand on that a little bit and get into more of your philosophy of what astrology even is and what it isn't. How determinate do you think it is? I mean, it sounds to me like you still believe in free will. And and as a sidebar, I was listening to a recent podcast episode that you did on your wonderful show, Ghost of a Podcast, where you had triplets on your show. Um, mm -hmm. And triplets, I would think, would have the exact same chart, more or less. And yet they still have different personalities and different lives. Of course they do. So how do you make sense of how much of of our lives are written in the stars versus how much we have control over. So I really believe in free will. My free will exists within my predetermined circumstances. So the class, race, ethnicity, time, body, et cetera, that I was born into, including in my et cetera's, the birth chart, right? Mm. So I have free will within those parameters. I don't have free will in any other parameters, but my own. And I think that that's a really important thing because when we look at something like triplets charts or twins charts, mm. we have our own experience of even the exact same circumstances. So the way that we choose to experience the world and the way that we feel like we're being forced to experience the world kind of come together and they make their own like soup is the best way I'm putting it in this exact moment. Um, for me as an astrologer, I am completely not interested in what is inevitable because I don't really believe in it. I believe in the inevitability of circumstance, but not choice. And some astrologers will look at a birth chart and be like, oh, this person's not going to be emotionally mature because of X. They're not going to find love because of Y. And I don't ever see it that way. What I see is that we have challenges and assets and choices. And some choices are easier to make than others. Some choices are incredibly difficult to make, but that doesn't mean that they're not choices. Exactly. And we can work within our nature to overcome the parts of our nature that 
do not serve us or the world around us. And we can indulge our stupidest impulses to be the massivest mistakes in the world. Like we can do all of it. We have choice. And as much as what we do impacts the world around us and others, ultimately our individual responsibility is to our soul. And the soul is in many ways articulated through the birth chart, but the bulk of the birth chart is articulating your personality Mm. and your circumstances as opposed to your soul. Does that make sense? It really, really does. And honestly, it's one of the most clarifying explanations I've encountered in a a long time because I love astrology and I love tarot and all of it, but I I'm a little anxious. Like it makes me a little mm-hmm. anxious because I'm, I want to know, but part of me is like, maybe don't tell me because like, I also like the idea that I'm a, a proactive person that can determine yes. my own destiny. And yet I still go to you guys all the time. Yeah. Well, and I think that something really important about that is astrology is not for everyone. It should not be for everyone. Many people have that experience that you're describing, except for probably more dramatic than you experience it, of feeling really anxious around, oh my God, this is what this means. In fact, I got a message for my podcast. It was a question by a kid. And she was like, my best friend is a Gemini and I'm an Aquarius. And I read on the internet that we aren't going to be best friends. And my best friend's really upset. Does the internet lie? And it broke my heart. This is the downside of a little bit of information (laughs) can be really, really bad. Like don't read WebMD if you're a hypochondriac. And if you're a child or if you're a person who is anxious or a person who struggles with decisiveness, astrology might not be your best tool. Astrology is going to predict negative things. You know, Mm -hmm. there's no such thing as a life that's easy all the time. There's no such thing as a body that never falters. There's no such thing as a success without failure or risk of failure, right? If you're not in a state of mind, or if you don't have the nature where you can take on that information responsibly, then astrology is just going to make you freak out. And, (laughs) you know, I think that's really important. And there's been periods of my life where I'm like, God damn it, I wish I didn't know this. Mm, I wish mm. I didn't know this was happening in the next year. And that is very real. And I think it's important to have healthy boundaries because there are 7 million tools in the world. And it's really important in, you know, woo-woo spiritual worlds that we recognize not every tool is for you. You get to have discretion. In fact, you need to have discretion when looking at the tools you're using and not one tool is good for all times and all things. Absolutely. On that note, we're going to take another very quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Several of you have been asking about how you can support the show, and we're busily brewing up a Patreon page and merch and all kinds of other goodies. More on all of that really, really soon. In the meantime, if you go to our website, witchwavepodcast.com, and click on support, that will lead you to a lovely little landing page where you can donate whatever you wish. I really appreciate all the love and messages you've been sending the Witch Wave, and I'm so very, very grateful to have you along for the ride. Thanks so much. Welcome back to the Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Jessica Lignato. So, Jessica, we're talking about things that make us anxious, about free will versus predetermined, star-written futures and fortunes. I'm sure you get this question a lot, but I really am curious. Do you ever read someone's chart 
and you just go, this is not a good human being. And of course, I'm going to dovetail into, do you believe that there are certain people, I don't know, a certain someone in the White House comes to mind, Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, there are other historical figures and, and living figures who I believe are toxic forces and negative forces. Do you believe that that's visible in their chart too? So there's a couple questions in there and I like them all. The (laughs) first is I've never looked at a chart and thought this is an evil person or this is a bad person or this is an irredeemable person. Never once. And I have read for thousands of people Mm -hmm. that said, I believe in evil. I know tons of assholes. I know tons of terrible people. You know, it's very easy, especially in this like cancellation culture that we live in to focus on. It's easy to talk about the victim. It's easy to talk about the child who is suffering through abuse. It is harder to look at that grown-up child who they, in turn, become an abuser and to have compassion for them because they're being abusive, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we look at somebody, let's say like the current president's chart, or we look at somebody who's objectively fucking terrible, when we look at their chart, we can see the pain that they experience because cruelty comes from a feeling of, I need to do this because I deserve it because of this feeling I have. When people are terrible or violent or mean, it's not coming from a joyous, healthy, and well-adjusted place inside of them. You know, it's coming from some level of suffering. Whether that suffering is conscious or not is a different topic altogether. But sure. And this is where I don't want to get in the weeds with this, but when we look at a birth chart, we are able to see the past and the present and the future. Time is not linear within the birth chart, even though astrology is very much the practice of like interpreting time. And so I can see them as an innocent child Mm -hmm. as much as I can see them as a perpetrator. And this is where so much of my compassion comes from because hurt people do terrible things. Yep. Hurt people, hurt people. That's what I always hear. Exactly. Hurt people, hurt people. And this is really. An important thing for those of us who have humanist values to remember, because there is a cancellation culture that is really popular right now on social media. And in this, we can exalt the victim in such a way that allows them to fixate on turning the pain outwards instead of healing the pain. Mm. I really agree with you. And it's not always an easy thing to remind oneself, especially when you see the people that you love, that you care about, who are suffering at the hands of this other person's suffering. But I do really try to practice this idea of compassion for everyone especially the worst, quote unquote, among us. But my goodness, is it a challenge to do? And I'm certainly, (laughs) I certainly don't achieve that goal every day or every moment of the day. Me neither. And also to be clear, it's not like I'm walking around with a lot of compassion for Trump. What I do strive to do is not waste my energy on hatred either, because that doesn't make me a healthier, happier person. Mm -hmm. Instead of focusing on what I hate in the world, or what I hate in this person. It's who do I love? Who needs my love? Yes. Who's suffering at the hands of this bullshit? And who needs my cash, my signal boost, energy? This is, I think, easier on my soul. So when I'm consulting with an individual, kind of like back to your question, 
and I'm looking at their birth chart and I'm seeing the trauma they come from. And I'm seeing how that trauma and that pain makes them feel like they deserve to be cruel to others. I don't go into you're a victim or you're a perpetrator. I go into your person. What kind of person do you want to be? These are your tools. How are you going to use them? And I really believe in a harm reduction model, which is like harm reduction is like a social worker's term. It's kind of like if you're a heroin addict and you become a pothead, but you stop doing heroin, amazing. It's the idea of like mitigating how much harm you're doing to yourself. So some people might say, well, you shouldn't do drugs at all. But actually, like, isn't it better to do pot than to do heroin? So why don't we celebrate that instead of punishing ourselves for not going totally cold turkey? And I think there's also more likelihood of maintaining that than trying to completely cut yourself off from something which we know people can slip back. You know, when you completely deprive yourself or deny yourself. It's that much easier to slip back into the harmful behaviors. Yes. But I personally do not think thoughts and actions are equal. And I like to hold space for people having terrible, shitty thoughts, because I believe that if we have terrible, shitty thoughts and we sort through them and we give ourselves permission to have them, then we can kind of follow the trail to a different place. But if we try to repress our shitty thoughts, then they kind of get stuck underneath the bed or like at the back of a closet and we don't heal them. We don't move through them and cycle to a new place with them, which is why, again, cancellation culture can be so damaging because when we shut down conversations and we say, you're not allowed to have this thought, what happens is people get scared, they shut down and then they never heal it and they never figure it out. And I don't think that everyone should have to hold people's hands around, you know, someone's process. But I do think as a counselor in my work, I really like to start with people where they are and support them in instead of like acting on like, I want to rip my partner's face off every time they look at me sideways, being like, okay, I'm not going to act in that way. I'm going to remove myself from the room and I'm going to allow myself to have the thought and I'm going to be interested in the thought and I'm going to follow it and see why it's happening and where it's taking me. Is it really about me or is it about them? Am I unhappy? Yeah. And that's where healing occurs. And this gets us back to our friend Carl Jung, who is all about exploring the shadow side and integrating both your quote unquote light side and shadow side mm-hmm. to be a whole healed, integrated person rather than trying to like repress or smother one side. You just brought yes. up partners. And do you believe that there are some signs that just should never date or is that all bullshit? Okay. Total 100% bullshit. I don't believe we date from our sun signs. How about that? Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Tell me more, (laughs) Jessica. (laughs) The sun in astrology is your identity, right? It's your sense of self. But is that where you're dating from? Most people I know are dating from the moon, their heart. They're dating from their dick, Mars. They're dating from the desire to be connected, Venus. They're dating out of fear or a desire for a life partner. That's Saturn. That's not the sun. None of this shit is the sun. So how we originally connect, I see you at a party and I am start to talk to you. Some of that's going to be chemistry, Mars. Some of that's going to be aesthetic, Venus. And some of that's going to be sun, identity. But when we're actually getting past the first three months, 
That's just not your son anymore. The son is an integral part, but it's not the most important part. And it's not the most driving part. I'm not into finding love or determining whether or not someone should be your friend, your partner, your business partner through the sun sign. Oh, that was delicious. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm going to have to listen to this episode and really reabsorb what you just said. But it makes perfect sense. And I think a lot of people are going to be relieved to hear that because I think many of us have had that experience. I'm not in it right now, but I've had people in the past that I dated or was in a relationship with or was considering collaborating with. And my chart said, or my sun sign said, ooh, this is oil and water or whatever. And I think a lot of people are going to be really happy to hear your perspective. Thank you. I want to pivot a little bit because we've spoken so much about astrology and I feel like we could fill 15 more episodes talking to one another (laughs) about this. And of course, you have your own podcast in which you talk about this. But there is so much more to you in addition to that, one of which is you are psychic. And that is such a big, squishy word. So what do you mean when you say that you are psychic? And how does that enhance your readings? Or do you keep it kind of like bifurcated or compartmentalized? Yeah, it is a big, squishy word, isn't it? So when I say psychic, I broadly mean that I know things that you didn't tell me. Um, That's kind of like my very broad (laughs) definition of psychic. I have clairsentience. I have some clairaudience, clairvoyance, you know, the gift of I feel things through my senses. Yes. I hear things. I smell things. I see things. And I use it interchangeably in my counseling sessions with people. And the primary way that it functions for me is I feel people's feelings in my body. And I can't read thoughts. I don't know what they're thinking, but I can feel their feelings. And I am particularly attuned to pain. So I don't feel people's joy or anything like that. I tend to primarily feel people's um, anxiety, depression, physical pain, emotional pain, all that kind of good stuff. And so in session with people, you know, I'll start to talk about something and then I'll feel a rush of panic go into their solar plexus. And I'll slow down and I'll be like, okay, just felt like a shift in you. Let's unpack what that is. Or I can help people to kind of develop self-care tools because I can see what they're doing wrong. So I use my psychic or my intuitive ability in this way. You know, I am a Tarot reader. I've been reading Tarot for longer than I've been studying astrology, actually. But as my psychic skills got better defined and refined, um, because psychic, like anything else, is a muscle and it gets stronger and you have more control with it when you build it intentionally over the course of time. I've used the Tarot less because it's so much quicker for me to just look at it psychically. The way I like to describe it to people is to think of psychic kind of like you think of the internet. But just because you're online doesn't mean you see all the websites at once, right? Just because you're on the right website doesn't mean you're reading the right line of the blog or whatever it is, right? So it's not like because I have this capacity that I know all the things at once, I can only look at or perceive whatever I can do in a moment. But people have this idea of psychic as like, I know all the things of the world and I know what's going to happen. And (laughs) that's just, it's like a crazy story. It doesn't make any sense, right? Sure. It's wise to use common sense with this stuff. And it's hard to do because it's odd, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. I know you're also an animal communicator. And 
we don't have tons of time to get into this, but I do want to share with you that my two cats, who can be quite disruptive when I'm recording these interviews, they are like chilling and napping and so happy. So I don't know if you're putting a good vibe out for them or what. Thank you very much. One of my favorite things is when people on Instagram post stories of their animals responding to my voice when they're playing the podcast. It's amazing. I've seen dogs and lizards and stuff like that. It's so cool. (laughs) It's not what I would have thought happened, but I am an animal communicator. It's not the most common thing that I do. I really love animal communication because I love animals, but also sometimes when I'm working with a client and they're really blocked on an issue and they have a hard time communicating to me or I have a hard time kind of like seeing through things, I'll just talk to their animals and they will narc on you. Just, oh, <laughs> listeners, that your animals are listening, they are invested, and they will talk shit about you when given the chance. And sometimes the most loving of shit. Ah, well, that is very good to know. Is it? And and I trusted you guys this whole time. (laughs) So um, in our final moments, what my instinct is telling me to ask you right now is just to leave us on a broader note of, is there anything that you would like our listeners to know about the general astrological time that we're in, whether that's this season of spring, whether it's for the rest of 2019, or even more broadly, is there anything that we should be aware of or more mindful of as we move forward? Yeah, um, we're in a very intense time. And the hope that things will just course correct, I think is, is misplaced. I think that we are in a time in history where everything is going to change and pivot. And that may be wonderful. That may be terrible. It's likely to be a little bit of both. Hopefully more wonderful than terrible, but nobody knows. It's a time of great transformation. And we will see the structures that we've built societies on in some ways crumble, in some ways get stronger. And I think what's very important about that is that each and every person who is alive at this time is alive for a reason. And we all have a role to play. And saying that I'm not a political person or I'm just really busy with my life, that's your role. But we are all on the hook for what happens next. And we are all part of this. And I don't mean this in like a guilting or a shaming or a pressuring way. I just mean it in a matter of fact way. Finding ways to participate in the world so that you can kind of be a part of it being the world you want it to be. There's like 6 million ways you can participate, but finding your ways will not only improve the world around you, but it will also soothe your soul in the long term. So that's Mm. my not very light or fun (laughs) answer for you, but that is my truthful answer. I think it's a wonderful answer. And You know, the idea that we're all accountable and we're all responsible for our own lives, but also for each other and the planet, I think is a really, really important one. And I'm so grateful to you that you have shared that with us. And it also makes me, for final thoughts, feel very hopeful about this popularity of astrology and witchcraft and all of these other spiritual systems. Because even though I think there can be some 
trivialization that happens in the media around it. To me, it signals that people are really seeking and looking for meaning and looking for ways that they can be more in touch with an authentic frequency and hopefully a higher frequency. I don't know if you agree with that or not. 100%. And I don't mind the trivialization as much as a lot of my colleagues do because of that, because it's like everyone has a gateway. You want to come in like from a moon circle with like really deep witches. That's awesome. You want to come in because you read like a bubblegum horoscope or like you found crystals at Sephora. Cool, dude. Like I don't care how you come in, but come on in. Help yourself, help the planet, help the people around you. All of these woo practices have the potential to facilitate that. I agree with you 100%. Come on in. The cauldron's fine. All are welcome. (laughs) Jessica, thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your heart and your starry magic. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And that is the nicest thank you I've ever heard. So yay. And oh, (laughs) oh, I should say I got so swept up. Jessica, just basics. Where can people find you? I'm sure people are going to want to listen to your podcast, read whatever you're writing, perhaps seek you out as an astrologer. What's the best way for them to do that? I have a book coming out at the end of 2019 that might be January of 2020, and it's on relationships. So if you're interested in my take on relationships through astrology, you should totally look out for that and get on my mailing list. And you can find me. My website is lovelaniato.com. You can listen to my podcast called Ghost of a Podcast. It drops on Sundays, and I answer listener questions, as well as give the horoscope for the week ahead and sometimes talk politics and spirituality. I'm on social media at Jessica Lignato. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I write hella stuff. You know, read it. I do some video stuff. You can watch that and There's just lots of stuff on my website. You can draw up your chart for free on my website too. Wow. And you literally have birds twittering in the background as you're talking (laughs) about Twitter and all the wonderful ways that people can find you. That's so awesome. So I am going to thank you once again, a double heaping of thanks. Thank you so much for being on The Witch Wave. And I look forward to chatting with you more, Jessica. Oh, so do I. Thank you so much. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Jessica Lignato for being so stellar in all senses of the word. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop me an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you, and you just might make it on the witch wire. The Witch Wave is produced and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs. Thank you, Rachel. And me. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman and Chiquita Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us lots and lots and lots of sparkly stars. It really does make a difference and it helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. 
and please consider pre-ordering my book, Waking the Witch, which is out on June 4th of this year. And you can check out my many, many, many events coming up in support of this book by going to my personal website, pamgrossman.com and clicking on events. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.